If your spider plant is looking peaky and that Venus flytrap you bought just kicked the bucket, you need On The Ledge, the podcast about indoor gardening where you learn everything you need to know to keep your house plants looking lush. I'm Jane Perone. Join me and a host of wonderful guests to chat all things houseplants at On The Ledge Podcast. Welcome to episode one of the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, editor-in-chief of Miles to Memories, and we are going to be bringing you every week a really, really cool show, about 45 minutes in length. We're going to talk about the news, talk about miles and points in depth, talk about family travel, a little bit of Disney, and I am joined uh, this week, and I will be joined every week by my two co-hosts. We'll start with our managing editor for Miles to Memories, Mark Osterman. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I've got to spend a couple hours walking around the Magic Kingdom today, so that's a pretty good day for me. I don't envy you. (laughs) It was actually not too bad. Not too bad at all. Our other co-host today, and I'm so glad to be having him, he's a podcast veteran. Um, You might know him from Disney Deciphered, from the Saverosity Observation Deck podcast, or his website, As the Joe Flies. Joe Chung is with us today. How's it going, Joe? What's up, guys? Great to be here. Yeah, I mean, we've been uh, talking about this for a while and and really working towards it. And then our schedules finally aligned for us to get this launched and uh, get this ready to go every single week. And I'm definitely excited. Right now, as you're listening to this, you can certainly subscribe to the podcast. We're available everywhere that you can uh, find podcasts like iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. And you can find all the information about the podcast at uh, milestomemories.com forward slash podcast if you're interested in uh, finding out where to subscribe, finding out more information about the show, and uh, sort of what we're, we're looking to do there. So, so each and every week on the Miles to Memories podcast, we're going to be talking about the most interesting news stories of the week. And then we'll also be going into de- in depth on a few different uh, topics, uh, miles and points, uh, family travel, Disney, all kinds of stuff, like we said. Joe and Mark and myself, we all are uh, traveling dads. We travel with our children. Um, we all love to go both domestically and internationally on trips. Sometimes we travel alone with our kids. Sometimes we travel as full families. Um, we all have great knowledge of miles and points. So we're really looking forward to bringing you sort of everything we talk about on Miles to Memories, including the best deals as well. This week, we wanted to start out with a really, really cool news story, a topic that's really close to my heart, and that's American Express fine hotels and resorts in Las Vegas. Maybe a little bit niche, but uh, we recently had some good, uh, some good news when it came to that. Mark, the Waldorf Astoria Las Vegas, which used to be the Mandarin Oriental, recently really, really upped their game with their food and beverage credit. And just a quick background on Amex FHR, that's uh, if you're a Platinum or Centurion cardholder, you can book uh, luxury hotels through American Express, and you'll get things like uh, upgrades, late checkout, free breakfast, and a credit. You know, Mark, are you a little bit excited? Uh, You want to explain a little bit about how they they switched up their credit and and what they're doing now? Yeah, they always had good food and beverage credit with uh, Amex, but uh, lately, what was it, six months ago, a year ago? They changed it to where it was just a spa credit, which isn't really useful for most people. And then the spa prices in in Vegas are so high that you're not really getting any extra for booking through them besides the late checkout. So having the $125 food and beverage credit is pretty nice because that will cover dinner in that uh, 
fancy restaurant upstairs there, which I know that you got to eat in for free. But uh, Hashtag hosted. <laughs> I've been wanting to check it out since I saw your review on it. It's for saying I got to eat in the restaurant for free. Thank you. <laughs> Hashtag hosted. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true, but I mean, I've already written about that. So uh, not about the restaurant, but. Yeah, so you could get a couple breakfasts, maybe throw in lunch with that. So the credit can go pretty far. And I know that when you wrote the article, you said room rates were uh, in the mid twos. So that cuts off quite a bit of the cost up front, uh, you know, covers half the room rate if you look at it that way. So it's a a nice uh, promo to have. Definitely. Um, Joe, when when you travel to Vegas, do you ever use fine hotels and resorts or a different, a similar program like that or... Sadly, I haven't been back to Vegas in a few years, uh, I, but the few times I've been to Vegas since I started in this Miles and Points business for like the last eight or nine years, I never have found that finding hotels and resorts has worked out for me or I've been able to do better. So, you know, it's interesting. I didn't even realize, I think the last time when I was in Vegas, it was the first time I saw the Mandarin Oriental and I didn't even realize that they rebranded. Yeah, it's been about a little over a year now. The way we've done a lot of stuff on the site about fine, uh, fine hotels and resorts in Las Vegas, and so I recommend going to Miles to Memories and searching that. So we've talked about different strategies to use, but when you come, when it comes to these types of deals, the real benefit, and if you're listening to this podcast, we haven't written this in the post, but is really like on one night shorter stays. And some people like to do kind of some hotel jumping in Vegas. They do one stay, one night stays everywhere, and they get credits every single place that they go. For instance, with the Waldorf here. For example, with the Waldorf here, if you are like a Hilton Honors Gold or Diamond member, so you can get that through uh, credit cards, or uh, we'll talk in a minute about how you can, uh, we'll be talking later this week about how you can uh, get it through a status match. But uh, if you have that credit, you're going to get a breakfast credit of $30 every day. You're going to get a $25 breakfast credit for your, for your elite status, plus the $125 food and beverage credit. So on a one-night stay, you can get it for around $250. 280 with I think it was 280 including all the taxes and resort fees and everything um, you're going to end up with somewhere around 240 in credit 235 240 in credit so pretty darn good and you can learn more about that on the uh, on the website do so the 125 is like only per stay what you're saying is you go one night jump to another hotel another night then jump back so you get like 125 times two however many times you're willing to move some people do that you can certainly utilize the different hotels on fine hotels and resorts also with the chase luxury hotel collection um you can do that so so yeah the idea with uh american express fine hotels and resorts is that you're going to get free breakfast every day of your stay but you also get that one-time credit in the case here the waldorf it's 125 dollars per stay so if your stay is one night you're still getting that credit um so if let's say you decided that you wanted to stay one night at the bellagio and then one night at the Waldorf, the Bellagio has a $100 spa credit plus free breakfast and all of that. You could do that. And then the next day at the Waldorf, go back to the Bellagio, vice versa. Or you could mix and match all kinds of different hotels. So people do do that. They do one night stays moving around and they're getting that credit every single time plus free breakfast every day upgrades and all the other benefits. My wife would need the uh, spa credit to convince her to hop <laughs> hotels every night. I'll tell you that. Yeah, ditto. But I'm going with some of my buddies in March, so I think this is one of the things I'll definitely compare. I had a question for you, Sean, since you live in Vegas. I haven't been there for a while. Are there like miles and points options on or near the strip these days that are worth it? Like I think last time I was there, there was that Westin, but it just didn't feel worth it uh, on points. There is the uh, the Westin, which is just off the strip. Um, you have all kinds of different Hilton uh, branded properties now. Um, you have, of course, all the M Life properties are Hyatt. 
the problem with Vegas is the rates really vary wildly. So um, it seems like most loyalty programs are pegging their points cost to like peak times in Vegas. So unless you're visiting on a really, really busy week or on a weekend, you're pr- almost always better off using cash. What about those new Hyatt places that you've been writing about? Yeah, there's actually, a, well, it's not on the Strip, but it's uh, south of the Strip near the Raider Stadium. Brand new Hyatt place, 8,000 points a night. And then there's the other Hyatt place there. So there's definitely, and there's all kinds of Hiltons and Marriott's and, um, you know, everything, all those sort of lower uh, limited service brands that you see across any major chain are found all throughout Vegas. But on the Strip itself, I don't know that there's a lot of great values when it comes to miles and points. But I do think that uh, you're always going to get great cash value during the week in the low season. And then, of course maximizing American Express fine hotels and resorts, and also the Chase Luxury Hotel Collection, which I'll have a post on later this week, talking about how I'm actually going to stay later this year uh, using the the Chase version of this program um, and receive more in credit than I actually pay for the one-night stay. So I'll actually be writing about that later this week on Miles to Memories, and you can check that out too. Yeah, I'll look forward to that. I I ain't got no time for uh, high places and stuff like that off the strip. Nowadays, I go to Vegas once every four years, so I want to be as central as possible. Well, I just thought, uh, you know, with your, you're getting a little bit older, a little bit more mature, maybe all your party days are behind you, but I guess not, huh? Uh, I'm not partying. I'm just gambling nonstop. <laughs> ah, okay. Although I really should go downtown to gamble, but whatever. Yeah, there's, the, the odds aren't great anywhere anymore, but although I'm not really an expert on that. Mark is more of the gambler in the group here, but... Downtown's not as good as it used to be a couple of years ago, and, and and now it's more busy and touristy than the Strip is, I feel like. it's It's lost a lot of its charm, so that's kind of annoying to me because i used to love downtown yeah and are resort fees still like out of control out there yeah i mean resorts fees are generally the cheapest you're going to find at any of the major hotels about 35 dollars anywhere up to 50 dollars a night so i'd say that's pretty out of control at this point um so yeah when it comes when, when it comes to vegas or anywhere that has resort fees always just look at what your price is for example for example the waldorf is 205 a night i think when you add in the taxes and resort fee it comes to 283 so that's the price i always look at when I'm comparing hotels, I'm always going to be looking at what the final out-of-pocket is, and I'm not going to look at what the advertised rate is. Joe, you need to uh, do the status match from uh, Wyndham to Total Rewards and then get Diamond status, and then you won't have to mess with resort fees anymore. Yeah, and I think that's a topic we definitely should cover in depth on another uh, episode because there's so much value that can be had uh, in status matching uh, casinos and in Vegas. So we'll definitely get into that another time. Time to move on to the next next news story, and we're going from – where I live in Vegas, to probably what's my favorite city in the world, and uh, talk a little bit about Hong Kong, a place that uh, Joe is really, really familiar with. And I know a lot of people have been hearing about the news and the protests, and so we thought we'd talk a little bit about it. And Joe has a really great understanding of what's going on. So I'd let you take away from here and, and talk a little bit about what what's going on in Hong Kong and you know what you think. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't say I have a great understanding, but just for some background, you know, my family's from Hong Kong. And also, you know, I lived there for a couple of years when I was in junior high. Uh, We moved over when my grandfather got sick. And so there's been a lot of stuff going on. Just some background before we get to the travel related stuff. There was a bill that was introduced that said that uh, Hong Kong criminals could be extradited to China. Uh, A lot of people didn't like that. So there were protests about this bill. They started happening um, every weekend and they kind of came to a head in June. They have since evolved to being protests about greater freedoms for Hong Kong overall. For those of you who aren't familiar, Hong Kong is a part of mainland China, but is a special designated area um, until 2047. Um, But, you know, I think people who are native to Hong Kong 
who have been living there since it was still a British colony up until 1997. You know, they value the freedoms that, uh, you know, kind of Western societies have, and they feel like it's been eroding um, slowly but surely over time. Anyway, the travel angle is, you know, these protests, as they've evolved, uh, they started affecting the airport. And you've probably saw news stories that um, Hong Kong airport was shut down a couple of days or flights were delayed or, you know, you probably saw the pictures of hundreds of, or if not thousands of protesters singing Les Mis in the airport. Um, and so, you know, that has been disrupting flights. That seems to have cooled down as of when we're recording um, and protests have moved back out onto the streets like to Victoria Park and stuff like that near Causeway Bay. But, you know, who knows um, how things might go over time. Anyway, in the midst of all this, China asked Cathay Pacific um, for flight manifests of basically they were trying to root out people who are being involved in the protests. And as a result of that, uh, some employees lost their jobs, uh, including the CEO um, and, you know, it's not quite clear uh, whether, you know, that's kind of China forcing Cathay Pacific's hand or a combination of, like, fear. But, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, China was threatening that Cathay couldn't fly over Chinese airspace, which would make it pretty much impossible for Cathay Pacific to operate. Anyway, I bring all that up because I'm curious and I'm sure, you know, if you're in the miles and points world and you're thinking about traveling to Asia, Hong Kong is probably on your list of places to visit you know it's the place that i always recommend people visit because um it is just so westernized you know it kind of dulls that culture shock if it's your first time in asia so my question for you guys is with this news um all the stuff that's going on you know do you think it would affect your your travel plans your uh kind of desire to go to hong kong or you know i know bob dwyer from the myelonomics podcast he pivoted away from hong kong on his way to thailand he was originally going to stop over there um you know he would have smack dab hit the protests in the airport but you know i'm curious whether you guys are kind of a little wary of going to hong kong because of everything that's going on well i i guess i'll start i've been to hong kong a lot of times i think nine or ten times now um it's certainly like i said my probably my favorite city in the world i love the energy i love the culture i was also in hong kong in 2014 during the umbrella movement and the occupy movement which went on for i believe a couple months uh, throughout the the uh, Admiralty, uh, I can never say that right, but area of the city. So I actually witnessed that firsthand. Um, yeah, the, some of the protests in the airport were a little bit hard because they were blocking ways, and I, I didn't see them ever get really physical with tourists. Um, I don't think that I would avoid going there personally, but I have a lot of experience with the city. Um, so yeah, Mark, what do you think? Well, I've never been there, but I would say it would have been more of a deterrent when there was issues at the airport when they were sitting in at the airport just because of flight cancellations and uh, delays and everything like that, that I would be worried about if I was connecting to somewhere else later on that I would miss that flight and it would just mess up my whole thing. So I probably would have skipped it during that time. Uh, Now that things have moved back out towards the streets, uh, I'd be more likely to go. Uh, If it was a family trip, I I might not want to take my kids there during all this is going on. But uh, if it was just me solo or like me and you going, Sean, I'd, I'd be fine with that at this point. But the main issue would have been when there was issues at the airport because that would mess up all the other travel that we had set up for for the trip that we were going on and that type of thing. Did Mark just drop a hint that he wants to go to Hong Kong with me? I think that's what he just said. Sounds like it. Yeah, that's. I'll, I'll go anywhere with you. Bit. You, you got to take me somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I feel so left out right now. All I can say, I want, I would love to go to Hong Kong with you, Joe, to go to Ocean Park. You know, 
uh, every yeah, time sure. I, I mean, just, sure. oh my God, and Disney with you, that'd be amazing. But all I can add to this is that I think that the situation in Hong Kong is something that people should learn a little bit more about the history of and, and uh, a little bit of the history of Hong Kong and the treaty with the British and, and certainly what's going on there. And, you know, learn a little bit about that. Uh, so when you see these stories, you sort of understand what's going on and why. Yeah, I agree. Admittedly, I'm a bit idealistic and Pollyanna-ish about these kinds of things. But to me, Hong Kong has always been an example of, you know, um, I think there are valuable things to take from Western cultures and the valuable things to take from Eastern cultures. And they're not going to be exactly the same in Hong Kong. I consider it my second home. And it's always felt like a place where the mix of the Western and Eastern cultures it shows that it can coexist. There's obviously always, always going to be tension, um, but it's something, you know, it's kind of we are the world type stuff. You know, I don't want to get too corny, but uh, it's just like a chance and a example of people coexisting who have very different value systems. And so, you know, it breaks my heart to see what's going on there. In terms of practicalities, the way I plan trips and as this podcast goes on, or if you listen to Observation Deck, you probably know this. I kind of start planning them a year in advance and then I book tickets, but I kind of feel like there's a 25% chance that trip will go through. And so last January I booked tickets to Hong Kong. I only found four seats. Um, and so, you know, I'm still missing that fifth seat for my family, but I'm strongly considering canceling that trip partially just because I can't find that fifth seat and partially um, because of what's going on. But at the same time, I'm it's August. So I'm planning summer trips travel for 2020 and you know i have found a ward space i like to asia and i'm thinking about coming back through hong kong and i'd say a month ago i would have booked that flight back from hong kong in a heartbeat um but now you know i'm hesitating a little bit because i'm not i'm just not completely sure about how i feel and so you know it's kind of something that's developing and so yeah i'll just leave it there and if you know if anyone has any questions or wants to talk you know you can feel free to contact me on twitter at as joe flies you know, because Twitter is a great place to have these nuanced conversations about huge world events. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, I think that's enough about Hong Kong. What's next? All right, let's take a quick break and talk about our show's sponsor. Uh, the Miles Memories podcast is brought to you by Travel Freely, and that's our recommended way to organize your credit cards and to find all of the best offers. Travel Freely is a free service, doesn't cost you anything at all. You can sign up. You tell them which credit card you have, when you signed up. They'll track uh, your bonus uh, spend, what dates you have to meet your spend by, how much your annual fees are, and when you're going to get charged those annual fees. They'll send you reminders so that you don't miss any of that information. Um, they'll also track your uh, track your 524 status so that you make sure you see where you are uh, if you're going to apply for any Chase cards. And most importantly, they keep a list of all the best offers, and they tailor those offers to you based on what you have. And they always show the best offer, even if they don't make a commission on that. So... Uh, we really, really do recommend them. I've been using the service for a few months. Joe's about to give it a try, and he's going to talk about that in a few uh, episodes coming up. Uh, but, yeah, sign up for free, milestomemories.com slash go slash TFpod, milestomemories.com forward slash go forward slash TFpod, TFpod. Sounds good. I look forward to trying it out. So we've, we've talked about Vegas, we've talked about Hong Kong, and this wouldn't be a Miles to Memory show if we're not going to talk about Disney at this point. So our third story is actually an article that Ian Schneider, contributor on Miles to Memories, wrote on our sister site, DisneyHacks.com, Why a Disney Vacation Sucks. And uh, Yeah, why, why haven't you fired that guy yet? I don't understand. I don't know. I, uh, 
I keep trying to fire him, but he doesn't go anywhere. Now, he's a great writer, and he has great insight. Um, he's completely wrong about this, of course, uh, which is why I had him actually put it down on paper and uh, publish it so that he could uh, go on the record with it. But he br- does bring up some good points um, in the article, and you can find it again on DisneyHacks.com. But how much do uh, tickets cost? He's talking about the cost of it. He's talking about how food is so expensive and how the lines and all the kids crying and uh, how stressful it is for all the planning and the strollers and how exhausting it all is. He mentions all of that stuff. Uh, what do you think about that, Joe? Is that all is that all valid or is he just doesn't know what he's doing? Of course it's valid. Yes. Disney is ridiculously expensive. Uh, I remember, you know, four years ago, um, I was talking to Haley Bach about it, you know, a Disney lover. Uh, like myself and like yourself, Sean. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know, the reality is you can spend less at Disney than, say, traveling to Europe or something like that. And at the time, it was true. But now I am fairly certain I could find a way to hack Europe and do it for cheaper. So, yeah, the costs keep going up. But to me, the question is, what are you looking for out of a Disney vacation? At the very end of Ian's post, he posted a picture and said about how much his kid loved the entire experience. Um, and so, you know, you and me, Sean, we're like adult kids. We love going there regardless. <laughs> um, but the reality is, you know, you are going for your kids. And the question is, uh, most of the time you're going for your kids. And the question is, how can you make it as good of an experience as possible as you can for them? Um, and so lots of valid points. And I'm happy to discuss, you know, how you can cut down the costs um, because they are kind of crazy Um, but mark you're a disney hater so i'm curious i'm always curious like why do the disney haters hate disney because i think it's just like you don't like disney i guess my what i'm trying to say is disney haters say they don't like disney and they make a huge deal about it but it's kind of like the same concept of saying like i hate paris but people don't make a big deal about hating paris and never wanting to go to paris or not as big a deal as you know when someone writes an article about how they don't like disney like everything goes kind of much more nuts. Yeah, I'm not a huge Disney fan. And and to be honest, I actually get uh, tickets for free because I have a friend that works at uh, one of the hotels on the weekends. So Okay, you're cool. <laughs> so she's, she's able to get me in there. Um, so that makes it... So wait, so you're, so you're telling me that the person we're talking to right now who likes Disney the least goes there for the least amount of money. Exactly. Yeah. And I never stay on property. I always stay at a points hotel. But so you only go for like a day at a time. I yeah. tender my resignation, Sean. <laughs> he goes yeah, for a day at a time, and then he takes his kids to McDonald's, the biggest McDonald's in the world, every day during the the trip. They're like, "Dad," he's like, "We got to go get breakfast at McDonald's." They're like, "We got to go to the biggest." He's like, "It's the biggest McDonald's every day." <laughs> you know, I drove by there dri- today. By the way, <laughs> it drives you nuts every time you drive by there. I almost, I almost inside. went in there. I was like, "I'm not going to go in there just because it'll make Mark too happy if I go inside the." <laughs> The biggest McDonald's, so I didn't do that. But but you don't you don't do long trips, right? You do shorter trips and shorter times in the park, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, we usually do like a, a weekend, like fly down Friday, fly back Sunday. So we only go to one park, just because I can't really handle more than one park. Uh, so, and we've been mainly focused on the Magic Kingdom because you know kids want to see the get the signatures and see the princesses and and uh, all that stuff. So that's really where the Disney magic happens, I think, for for children is that they're big into to seeing the characters, getting the autographs, meeting them, taking the picture, where that, you know, as an adult, I don't care about any of that. And so I'm more focused on rides and rideability, and uh, that's something that we got into a discussion with PDX Deals Guy a couple days ago, the difference between theme parks and amusement parks. 
and I'm definitely more of an amusement park person. I want to ride the coasters. I want to, you know, ride the same ride over and over, you know, hop around, that type of thing. You just did that big tour where you went to the cornfields of Indiana or whatever, and now you're a superstar. Everybody loves you there. I am a celebrity in central Indiana. (laughs) (laughs) So... I would much rather do that trip where you're riding all these different coasters and stuff. Disney, all I think of is heat. Uh, there's nowhere to sit. They don't give, I don't know why they don't have benches. It, it drives me crazy. And then you go to like a stroller parking area and you try to sit on a step and they say, hey, you can't sit here. That You know, you have to be clear of that doorway or whatever, which ticks me off. And then it rains in the summer. So you run inside, but everybody's inside and it's just a mess and the food's overpriced and it tastes terrible. So it's it's I I can't stand it. Now, I know the parks outside of Magic Kingdom are probably better or, you know, offer a different variety. So that's what uh, I look forward to trying next, Uh, like going to uh, what is it? Pandora, not Pandora. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Pandora, yes. And Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as well is probably what you're thinking of. Yeah. So like that type of thing. Um, We're actually going down to Orlando for their birthdays in October. Rub it and in. but we're going to go to Universal, which you know, to see Harry Potter and stuff. They've watched the movies; they're into that. And I think I'll enjoy that more just because it's more of a theme thing, just like Pandora and Star Wars is, where you're more thrown into like a movie set type of thing. I think that'd be more, you know, more interesting, cooler than, you know, waiting in line to get Cinderella's autograph and seeing her little fake fireplace at Belle's house or whatever, you know, those type of things. And it just. I mean, we waited like over an hour to ride Dumbo one time. It was awful. If you're if you're a Disney that's fan and you're screaming, that's at, you're bad at it, man. <laughs> well, that's, if you're a Disney fan screaming at Mark, don't worry. By the end of this podcast, in a year, a couple years, he'll be the biggest Disney fan. We'll can, we'll keep beating at him until he realizes it. But I think well, that's uh, an that's, go ahead. that's another thing. Uh, you have to plan so much for it. It's yeah. annoying. Like you have to have these tips and these tricks and the, the fast passes and. You have to get there when it opens and run to this certain ride, and you have to have your whole day planned out. I just want to go and enjoy it, you know. I don't want to have to to plan for weeks and months ahead of time. And and uh, you know, the one of the problems with getting free tickets, Joe, is that you can't do fast passes ahead of time because you don't have the tickets till you show up. So, oh, boo hoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, fast passes are they worth one hundred and twenty five dollars or whatever the price is now? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think what I'd say is, number one, I found it very ironic because it sounded like Ian got at least one day's worth of free tickets as well. So I find it ironic that both of you, well, I guess you're not actually complaining about the price, but Ian was definitely complaining about the price of tickets, Um, but he's getting it for free. So, you know, to me, that doesn't track. I think, yes, Disney takes a lot of planning, um, but I've gone without a plan before or changed my plans uh, on the fly. And, you know, things have been perfectly fine. I think it's just a matter of, like, expectations. Because you're spending so much money, I think it's easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself to, like, have a certain type of experience and enjoy it a certain way. I would recommend for those of you who feel like you're being forced by your children to go to Disney World, which I totally understand, and you probably don't want to go yourself. I totally understand that as well. Well, I don't understand it, but I accept it logically. You know, I would say, you know, just let your kids, uh, depending on their age, of course, you have to account for that. But... For the most part, go with what they want to do. They will probably have a good time if you are at least semi-conscientious about it. And by extension, you should have a good time as well, you know, if you love your children, which uh, hopefully you do. Also, one thing that has always kind of blown my mind is that the same 
kind of skills you use to maximize your miles and points and plan you know these complicated itineraries and trips to fly to wherever it's the same kind of mentality that you need to plan your disney vacation so it's just a matter of kind of getting down to do it you have the skills if you're into miles and points and it's just a matter of applying those kinds of ideas absolutely and that's exactly what i was thinking just the my dad used to always say prior proper planning prevents poor piss performance or something like that and that's the truth people are spending poor piss performance yeah i think that's a urinary infection uh, no, well, he's trying to talk like Yoda. We did it both ways. He, no, he would say it both ways. So piss poor and poor piss. So I don't know why. <laughs> but yeah, I one guess time poor he was piss drunk I... and one time he wasn't. Is that how? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Something like that, or you know, my memory screw. But uh, if you if you're going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a Disney trip, then you should put some uh, some effort into into planning it and learning a few things about it. Um, it is overly complicated. But if you don't want to do a lot of planning, then just you know, visit during the off season. There's all kinds of things you can do. My family, we did nine days at Disney World um, in May, complete, and I did it with no fast passes ahead of time. When I was already here, I would book them for the next day or whatever, but I didn't come in with any fast passes at 60 days or 30 days because I wanted to see exactly what we could do. And because that's not the busiest season, we were able to, you know, to get around um, the different parks and uh, and do that. So there's definitely options for you. There's other, you know, Disney does exist outside of Disney World, too. So there's different ways to experience it. Disneyland is a very different experience, and you don't have to plan 60 days ahead. They have a lot of the same attractions, but also unique attractions, and dare I say better attractions in many cases. So there's different ways to do Disney. You're going to have to deal with heat and crowds and stuff like that, but are you going to just sit at home and not take your kids anywhere? Because if you're going to take your kids anywhere, um, last time I checked, it's hot in the summer, it's crowded. No matter where you go, more people are traveling. So if you go to New York City, uh, Manhattan to go walk around, or you go to Boston to see all the historic sites, or you go to Disney World, you're going to deal with a lot of those same things and a lot of the same stresses. So there are things you can do, and certainly at the end of the day, like you said, if your kid is happy and they're having fun, then that's what it's all about. I will say one thing. I think uh, the money, how how expensive the tickets are play into it where – Kids will normally go to bed at 8, 8.30, but parents will be like, no, we're staying here until the park closes after the fireworks. You're going to be out till 10.30. We won't get to bed till 11, 11.30, and you're going to get up at 7, 7.30 the next day so we can get here when it opens. You know, I think that drives a lot of the exhaustion you see at the end of the night is they look at how much money they're spending, and they're like, we're going to get every ounce out of this. And that's one thing I do like about getting the free tickets is when things are going downhill or it's getting packed or it's hot, we're just like, let's get out of here. Let's bounce because <laughs> I'm not dealing with this. I didn't spend any money, so it doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah, easy but come, I, easy go. <laughs> yeah. But I I Man. can see where other people just are like, no, we're not leaving. I don't care if you're tired and you're crying. We're going to stick it out because I, I spent too much money for this. I mean, I totally get that. I do another podcast called Disney Deciphered, and it's all about kind of saving money, time, and stress. I do that with Leslie from Trips with Tykes. And one thing that we're always saying and always preaching is you kind of have to let that kind of stuff go. Um, I don't think I've said this specifically there, but, you know, the sunk cost fallacy. You've already spent your money. Uh, What you do to yourself or to your kids is not going to get that money back. Um, And so to me, it's always a question of, 
oh, do I want to push my kids to the brink and then remember this as like one of the worst vacations ever? And in my case, it's if I make the vacation feel like one of the worst ever, then my wife will never let us go back because she, like you, does not love Disney Um, or, you know, that money's gone and we just have to enjoy it as much as we can and bail, you know, when we've gone too far. So probably my number one advice for people going to Disney is don't let the amount of money you spent trick you into having a bad vacation because you're trying to maximize everything that you want to do. Yeah. Great advice. And I'll just, uh, close it out with this. Um, when I was entering today, uh, going to the magic kingdom, I was uh, entering the, the monorail station and a lady came off the monorail and she was screaming at her kid at the top of her lungs, how terrible he was and how they were never going to come back and all those great things. And I think that if you do find yourself in that position, having that meltdown and it's just been so terrible, just own it and uh, laugh at yourself and move on. Cause if I had a dollar for every person I saw scream at their kids at Disneyland, and I'm sure I've done it myself too. It's just part of life. Did you ride an Alice ride by yourself again? This trip, Sean, they don't have Alice here. See, that's why I was saying Disneyland is better because they don't have Alice here. So you can only find yeah. Alice in Disneyland. And I do. Come uh, on, Mark, get with the times. How do you not know that Mark? Come on. <laughs> Oh, Sean right. broke the ride all by himself, and he had to walk off like a creepy old guy. On Alice See, to Mark, oh, what do you mean, like a creepy old guy? Wait, wait, wait. To Mark, I'm a creepy old guy. Come on, to a Disney nerd getting uh, evac'd off of Alice on the second floor and having to walk through the wor- the uh, the workshop and all of that. That's like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. I think even your wife called you creepy. No, she just said, "What are you doing there with Alice?" Because <laughs> I, I got stuck right in front of the Alice animatronic, so it's just, and there was no other cars in there, so it's just, I took a selfie with me and Alice. She's right behind me, and you know, I don't know. See, I mean, both I, your your wives are better than both of you. They both wow, they dude. Get it. My they wife get it. just, my wife pretends that she doesn't like it, but let's not pretend that she hasn't been, you know, to all these parks and she loves it just as much as I do. She just doesn't talk about it as much. I got lucky there. So, yeah, let's uh, move on from our Disney talk. Every week uh, on the show, we're going to do a feature where we're going to go more in-depth on different topics. And we did go a little bit in-depth on our news stories already. But this week, instead of a Miles and Points topic, we wanted to start with our first episode talking a little bit about our backstories, where we've come from, what we're bringing to the show. Um, We've all been doing this for a long time. So I think that you'll really enjoy our experience. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that. Figured we'd start a little bit uh, with Joe Joe, you how long have you been uh, blogging for? Like six, seven years now? I started As Joe Flies like seven years ago. Uh, I started with Miles and Points around 2012 and then, oh no, around 2011. And then um, my wife got pregnant with her first child. So I started this in August of 2012. So yeah, it's been uh, seven years As Joe Flies. Seven years and uh, seven articles total. It's been great. Azure Joe Flies is on Save Verocity, which isn't as busy as it used to be, but did it start on, on its own or was it always on Save Verocity? Yeah, I started on my own and then, um, you know, I can't remember which year, but Matt was doing that. Uh, I forget what he called it, but it was like a competition for who could like earn the most miles in like three months or something like that. And then after that, he put a call out for people who were interested in writing for Save Verocity and I answered the call as they say. So I moved over to Saverosity uh, like a year or two after uh, I started. So yeah, I've been uh, traveling on miles and points since late 2011. You know, as time has gone on, my wife and I have added three children to our family. And so we now need to book award seats for five, uh, which has become much more challenging since we don't mind flying to Europe in economy, but if we're flying to Asia, which we try to do every other year, uh, you know, we'd like to be at least in business class. So it's gotten pretty difficult. But at the same time, 
you know, uh, we love to travel with our kids. And we just feel that, um, well, number one, you know, my wife and I are both teachers and we could not stay at home with each other for two months in the summer every year without um, causing severe marital strife. So that's number one. And then number two, once you throw the kids into the mix and you know, probably for those of you who have kids at home from summer vacation, um, that also causes a lot of familial strife if you're just at home with your kids all the time. So we find that traveling um, gets us out of our routines, gets us to see new places, um, and gives us a chance to have fun around the world instead of just at home. And we just use miles and points to you know, severely cut down the costs or make it so that the costs allow us to fly in a better class of service and stay in nicer hotels using the miles and points. And I think I, I met you for the first time probably five years ago around there doing family travel for real life. And that's right around the time you started the Observation Deck podcast. I think we recorded episode six or something like that as a group podcast. And, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Audio's terrible. Don't listen to that one. <laughs> I, think I don't it, think you can even get it on iTunes anymore. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, that was great. And I, it's always been uh, great to, to see your love of family travel as your family has grown. Um, but, yeah, your podcasting empire has grown a little bit too, like you said, with Observation Deck, which you're still doing. And then, of course, your Disney Deciphered podcast. You know, you're the experienced podcaster of the group here. Certainly, in addition to your miles and points, you bring a nice background of uh, talking about it and talking about family travel and evangelizing this stuff and talking about all the great things that we really find important, I guess, on Miles to Memories. So that's really uh, exciting. Is there any other little tidbits or juicy facts that you want to share with people? I shared my juiciest fact already, which is that I lived in Hong Kong for a couple of years. Um, so, and then obviously I love Disney, but I think that comes out all the time. You know, I'm not blind to Disney's problems with the amount of information at our fingertips. There's always kind of a level of nothing that we love is without its flaws and Disney is no different. One other thing I'll say is if, you know, you're just tuning in to a podcast for the first time, just because uh, you know miles to memories. The question sometimes is, you know, what's the benefit of listening to a podcast over, you know, reading blog articles or something like that. And I think to me, you know, I love podcasts. I listen to tons of them. In fact, the majority of podcasts I listen to have nothing to do with miles and points. And I think it's just a way to kind of keep your brain active when you're doing those things where your brain would normally not be active. Um, so like when I'm washing the dishes or when I'm theoretically exercising, which rarely happens, uh, if I'm driving in the car by myself, um, or even with, when I'm with my kids, if, you know, if I'm listening to a Disney podcast or something like that, you know, it's just a way to kind of keep the mind going and to learn things. You can learn a lot of stuff um, by listening uh, in your free time. So I guess the other thing I'll say about podcasts is, you know, it takes a while. I remember when Trevor and I and uh, Joe Cortez recorded our first podcast, uh, it was pretty rough. You know, it takes a while for co-hosts to develop chemistry. So, you know, I think I'm looking forward to getting to know you two better um, so that, you know, I think as time goes on, our conversations will just um, get smoother and we should have some more fun. Starting a new venture is always hard. So I'm just looking forward to continuing this podcast and chatting with you guys about what's going on in the miles and points world every week. What do people actually still wash dishes? Oh, so, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. A friend of mine who is Chinese came over to our house once and she opened our dishwasher and she asked us if we actually use our dishwasher or if we just use it as a drying rack, because that is a question that in many Chinese American households, I know you have to ask. So I would say we use our dishwasher once or twice a week. Uh, which I think amongst people I know who are Chinese American, 
can tend to be a little bit on the high side. Once we started having kids, we started using the dishwasher a lot more, but really we hand dishwashes a lot. And our dishwasher was a drying rack for the first six or seven years of our marriage. So yes, Mark, I do wash dishes. Pulled that, I pulled that interesting fact out of him for you, Sean. There you go. That what's What's interesting about that is that on the flip side, as Americans, we keep inventing dishwashers that are you know, get better and better. So we don't even have to like pre-rinse our plates or I don't have a dishwasher like that, but I know my dad had this super fancy one where you could just put the dish in there with anything on it and it would come out clean. You could literally put anything in there with all kinds of crap on it. It would come out clean. I don't know what it did, but last time I was shopping for a dishwasher, the guy put his phone on full ring and then put it inside the dishwasher, closed the door. So you could say, Hey, there's not going to be any sound when you're washing your dishes. So that's all I cared about. Technology is great. All right. So we learned a little bit about Joe, some interesting tidbits and facts, and probably a little bit more about dishwashing than we did, so that's great. And uh, now let's talk a little bit about Mark uh, Osterman, who he's been working uh, with me on Miles to Memories for a couple of years now, and uh, he uh, does a lot of our um, our content, but he's also managing our editorial calendar and all of that, and he's been around in the Miles and Point space for a long time. He started out as a, our Facebook group moderator on our Facebook group, and uh, from there, and uh, yeah, Mark, how did you get into Miles and Points, and what is your love of travel? I'm going to start off with saying I use my dishwasher uh, four to five times a week, and uh, <laughs> I run it full. I don't, I don't just dry. I do. I it feel all. like sad that I don't know how many times a week we use my dishwasher. I got to start like paying attention. <laughs> so I actually I got into miles and points uh, right when my son was born. Like a, a year before, we decided we wanted one one of us to stay home with the kids, and uh, I hated my job. I was working six days a week most of the time, uh, sixty hours plus. And I was just kind of over it. So, and my wife works in the medical field, had better chance to, you know, improve quality of life, get get bigger raises. That so, um, we decided that I would be the one to stay home, which is not as unique now as it was back then. But you know, stay at home dad, something something different. But so I started that, and then I was sitting at home, and I actually got into miles and points because uh, I was just looking at ways to save money or to you know make some money from home. And I read an article about how you get five hundred dollars cash. For signing up for a credit card, and, and that was the Chase Sapphire preferred. And not knowing anything, I shut out for hundred dollars in cash, which makes me want to throw up uh, on a regular basis. But uh, so I, I did that, and then I started reading more and more uh, websites, and then I found my way into Miles and Points blogs, um, and that was like seven, eight, almost eight years ago now. So I got into that, and I figured out, wow, these points are worth a lot more if I use it for travel. I like to go to Vegas. We, we like to go to the Caribbean, you know, back then. So. That's what I was focusing on, and we were doing uh, trips for that, and it grew from there. And then, you know, as the doors open, where before, you know, we had a budget, you couldn't spend a lot on travel because we had one income at the time. But the miles and points opened the doors that we could go more places, and then you start extending the horizon. Oh, I can fly first class to Europe. Which, growing up, that's something you never considered that you would do. You know, fly to New York City to have pizza for a night if you want. You know, the, just the crazy type of things, and that's that's. Probably what I like most about Miles and Points is that you can do whatever you want, pretty much. Uh, just last weekend, we were in Atlantic City, and uh, I'm sorry if I found anybody, but Atlantic City's kind of a dump. So after, we were supposed <gasps> to be there two nights, and after the first Never night... I called that. <laughs> I just fainted. <laughs> we, uh, after the first night, we said, you know, I can't stay in this rat hole any longer, so... We, uh, I booked a Hyatt in uh, Philadelphia, and we, we uh, drove to Philly a day early and spent the night there. Um, which was amazing. It was a three hundred and twenty some dollar hotel a night, which we could never have just do because we already had a room booked in Lake City. We would just stayed there. Had it not been for miles and points that 
you can do something on the fly, change it up. And we had a great time uh, in Philadelphia. had a great night. Can't wait to go back. Um, so that's something that I would have never done without it. So those are the type of things that I cherish the most about it. What I like about Mark is that uh, he travels, you know, with his family. Um, this past weekend, I think you were by yourself with your wife, but you travel by yourselves with the kids as well. Um, sometimes just to Orlando to go to McDonald's, but other times you take them elsewhere, I've heard. I've never actually seen that, but... Um, so, and you also travel with your buddies south. and go to every, you're in the process of going to every major league ballpark around the country. And, um, you just did a trip to Amsterdam and you always find the coolest like local bars and things to hang out. So you have a great mix, I think of different travel experiences that you bring and, uh, traveling in a different way, I think than a lot of people, which is really, really cool. I do. I do enjoy trying to find the most local place I can when I go to a place, when I go overseas or whatnot, I, I like to to get away from the tourist trap areas and just kind of get the local vibe and meet the people. And funny thing is, um, in Europe, at least the, the most local place is the most American sounding bar you can find. So if you're ever, uh, visiting somewhere like in Amsterdam, it was bourbon street. It's the name of the music club and it was all Dutch people. And it was awesome. I highly recommend you check it out. Is that the place where they won't let certain people use the bathroom? No, that was a different piano oh, bar. Okay. And it was a different bar. It was awful. That's another podcast. I, I could give a whole podcast to that. That's what I really love about both of your stories is that uh, they really are about sharing a love of travel and sharing a love of family travel and using miles and points to uh, to achieve and go places that we uh, never have been able to do. And so we all sort of share that same background. I'll talk about a little bit about my story uh, another time because we're a little short on time today. Uh, we definitely wanted to close out by uh, reminding you that you can find out everything about the podcast, uh, the Miles to Memories podcast at milestomemories.com forward slash podcast. And when you're there, you can uh, subscribe to the show via every single major podcast way to subscribe. We have our regular RSS feed and then Google Podcasts uh, or Google Play Music, uh, Apple Podcasts, of course, uh, Stitcher, uh, just about anything else. We also really want to build a community around this podcast. So we are looking forward to having you, if there's a new story you want us covered um, or something that you're interested in, send it our way at podcast at milestomemories.com. Um, you can also find a, a link to our email on our, on our website. Most importantly, we really do want to ask that you, uh, if you do subscribe to the show and you like it, please give us reviews. Um, reviews go a long way into uh, helping the algorithms share our podcast with others and helping other people uh, discover it. And so if you've been a longtime fan of Miles to Memories or you're just hearing this for the first time and learning about us, please consider reviewing the podcast, giving us a great review so that we can uh, continue to share our knowledge and uh, get this podcast out to the wider masses. So that's it. We really hope that you enjoyed this first episode. We're going to have a second episode dropping in just a couple days. And then every week after that, 45 minutes, we really hope that you come back and join us. And again, uh, if you have any uh, news, anything to share, podcast at milestomemories.com and milestomemories.com forward slash podcast. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Peace. Sorry. My uh, mom just came home, I think. Joe's going to have us going over on the time. Oh, we got to give him a hard time about this.
we're, we're up against it. Fifteen minutes left. Fifteen minutes left of talking. I guess we're not. We're gonna. My story's gonna get cut out. <laughs> I so bad want to hear him go. Mom, stop! <laughs> I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> well, you missed it. So. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious.